Um, so we're starting our um, series on James, and um, and to kick off, I just wanted to ask you all: is, Has anyone here had a sibling, like a brother or sister, that has gone on to do something really amazing? Like you have? Oh, true, true, <laughs> true. Yeah, that's true. That's a good example. Yeah, Mark is a. Sarah's brother, and he's an outstanding musician and guitarist. And if, I think if he ever has another concert in Hamilton, we'll advertise it here. He's amazing, really, really good, world class. That's true, good example. Anyone else? Um, I'm not sure about my brother. He hasn't had an easy life, but he's um, battled depression twice, come through it. Um, the reason he came through it was he learned about the importance of proclaiming the truth of God about his life every morning. So he really got into the Wow, cool. Gold medal in the Masters Games. Cool, cool. Um, I, I can't claim that my brothers have, or myself, <laughs> have done, have done any, anything super amazing. But um, I did go to um, the school that I went to. The, the, one of the guys in the year behind me, he ended up as the CEO of General Motors in America. And he has just gone to um, Cruise Automation, which is the General Motors uh, division of the self-driving cars. So he's in line for like a $25 million bonus if he meets his target. So, um, yeah. So, <clears throat> so I don't know about you, but if you look at people like that that you know, and then you look at your own life, it's easy to think, you know, what am I doing with my life? You know, if you read if you read books on like Julius Caesar or someone like that, then and you look at what he did, um, it's it's you, you really think, man, um, I haven't really accomplished much. And if you identify with that, you'll have some idea of how James must have felt, because James's brother was Jesus, and Jesus was turning water into water into wine. He's raising the dead. He was feeding people with. You know, five loaves and two fishes doing all these miracles. And, um, and then he, oh, raising the dead, Lazarus, he raised the dead. And all the while claiming to be God. And then he gets crucified and then he is raised from the dead. And then you find out that he's God. So you put yourself in James's shoes. And you, <laughs> you, it's like, oh, that's my brother. No, no, that can't be right. He's, he can't be God. You know, he's, he's, he's lost it. He's, he's gone. And then um, after a while, see, James, this is our, our topic for today, experiencing joy. And James's uh, brothers, they didn't believe in Jesus uh, at the start. And y- you've got to understand that, right? Um, and then somewhere along the line he came to believe that his brother was in fact God. That's quite the jump, eh? Uh, here's Acts 1 to 4, so this is after the resurrection. They all joined in together and constantly in prayer along with the woman and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. So all of his brothers came to believe that he was God. And that's got to be a, a weird transition to go from 
my brother's thinks he's God, what a weirdo, he's really loopy, to, hey, you might be right, to the start of James where he calls himself a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. So <laughs> that's, a, that's a massive journey to go on, especially with the way you view your own brother. It must have been so weird. But doesn't it lend incredible weight to Jesus' claim? If, if his bro- own brothers came to believe that he was God, um, isn't that an incredible weight of evidence for who he claimed to be? And if we read a bit more about James, he was called um, James the Just. He was held in very high regard. And I found this, this guy, Hegesippus, I think that's how you say it. He was, a, he was a Christian historian. And he wrote this about James. After the apostles, James, the brother of the Lord's surname, the Just, was made head of the church at Jerusalem. Many indeed are called James. This one was holy from his mother's womb. He drank neither wine nor strong drink. Ate no flesh, never shaved or anointed himself with ointment or bathed. Um, Okay. He alone had the privilege of entering the Holy of Holies, since indeed he did not use wool investments, but linen, and went alone into the temple and prayed on behalf of the people, insomuch that his knees were reputed to have acquired the hardness of camel's knees. So that's quite an exceptional guy, right? This guy, James the Just. And particularly when you understand where he's come from as the brother of Jesus. And then in about 62 AD, uh, Hegesippus writes that the scribes and the Pharisees came to James. So James was made the bishop of Jerusalem, of the early church. So the scribes and the Pharisees came to him and asked him for help in putting down Christian beliefs, which is a bit weird considering he was the bishop. That's kind of weird. But anyway, this is what he said. Uh, to their dismay, he responded that Christ himself sitteth, sitteth in heaven and at the right hand of the great power and shall come on the clouds of heaven. And because of this testimony, they realized that he, they couldn't enlist them uh, to help with quietening down the Christian um, movement. And so they took him up to the summit of the temple and they threw him down. They threw him off the summit of the temple. But he wasn't killed by the fall. And so they began to stone him to death. And while this was happening, James turned, kneeled down, and prayed this, I beseech thee, Lord God, our Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And while they were thus stoning him to death, one of the priests, the son of Rechab, the son of Rechabim, to whom testimony is borne by Jeremiah the prophet, began to cry aloud, saying, Cease, what do ye? The just man is praying for us. But one among them, one of the fullers, took the staff with which he was accustomed to wring out the garments he died and hurled it at the head of the just man. And so he suffered martyrdom, and they buried him on the spot. And the pillar erected to his memory still remains close by the temple. This man was a true witness to both Jews and Greeks that Jesus is the Christ. So this is the guy that wrote the book of James. And I don't know if you've read the book of James, but it's quite confronting. It's kind of quite black and white. He doesn't mince his words, does James. And it's easy to think... um, Come on, mate, you're being unrealistic. And we're going to look at some of the unrealistic, possibly, well, you could, we could consider them through our Western uh, eyes as unrealistic. But this is how he died. So he walked the talk. Um, there is nothing in his book that he did not live out in his life. And so when, when we're reading James and we get to a bit that we think, oh, 
Gee, that's, that's hard to accept. Let's remember that it comes from a man who actually lived, lived what he said. So, I'm going to ask Kieran to come up and read um, James 1, 1 to 18. From James, a servant of God and of our Lord Jesus Christ, greetings to the twelve tribes scattered all over the world. My friends, be glad even if you have a lot of trouble. You know that you learn to endure by having your faith tested, but you must learn to endure everything so that you will be completely mature and not lacking in anything. If any of you do need wisdom, you should ask God and it will be given to you. God is generous and won't correct you for asking. But when you ask for something, you must have faith and not doubt. Anyone who doubts is like an ocean wave tossed around in a storm. If you are that kind of person, you can't make up your mind. And you can't be trusted. So don't expect the Lord to give you anything at all. Any of God's people who are poor should be glad that he thinks so highly of them. But any who are rich should be glad when God makes them humble. Rich people will disappear like wildflowers, scorched by the burning heat of the sun. The flowers lose their blossoms and their beauty is destroyed. That is how the rich will disappear and as they, as they go about their business. God will bless you if you don't give up when your faith is being tested. He will reward you with a glorious life, just as he rewards everyone who loves him. Don't blame God when you are tempted. God cannot be tempted by evil and he doesn't use evil to tempt others. We are tempted by our own desires that drag us off and trap us. Our desires make us sin, and when sin is finished with us, it leaves us dead. Don't be fooled, my dear friends. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father who created all the lights in the heavens. He is always the same and never makes dark shadows by changing. He wanted us to be his own special people, and so he sent the true message to give us new birth. Thanks, Karen. <clears throat> So it doesn't take us long before we come across the first possibly unrealistic and on the face of it ridiculous statement, isn't it? Consider it, this is the NIV translation, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work in you so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So... My dog got run over. Yay, praise the Lord. I lost my job. My wife left me. Yay, praise the Lord. Is that, is that what James is calling us to do? I don't think so. I don't think so. So what does it mean then to consider it pure joy when we face trials of many kinds? To let, we're going to have a look at this word joy, and I'm going to ask you when was the last time you felt something Super joyful when you felt super joyful. When was the last time? <laughs> Some of you. Go. Yeah, yeah. When, when, when did you last feel like, oh man, I'm exploding with joy? Probably your wedding day, right? My wedding day. Oh, cool. That, well, that's me too. That's that's the example I had too. <laughs> nice one, Kaylee. <laughs> Your mum was exploding with pain. <laughs> no, nah, she was exploding with joy too, I'm sure. Anyone, anyone else? Yep. 
Yeah. Cool. Yeah, yeah. That's nice. Yeah, nice example. Yeah, so for me, um, yeah, it was, as Carl pointed out, my wedding day. And it was particularly um, a joyous occasion for me because I wanted to be, I'm sure I've shared this before, but I was, wanted to be married when I was 25 and I actually got married at 45. So there's a long gap there, a long period of, of pain. And it was a trial, absolute trial. And uh, if I drill into my emotions on that day, it wasn't just the, the occasion. Yes, it was joyful. It was wonderful seeing my gorgeous wife come up the aisle to me. Uh, it was a beautiful day. We had heaps of friends and family there. It was a, um, we had wonderful music. It was just so cool. But what was really meaningful for me on that day was that um, it was a fulfillment of God's promise to me. So all throughout those 20 years, I would, I would doubt. I was like, this is not happening, God. Lord, and I'll go, I would go to God. Say, Lord, really, am I going to get married? And he'd say, yep. And then people like Rose would say, yep, you're going to get married. I said, okay, okay, good. So another five years would pass. Well, and I'd be going back to, Lord, is this really going to, are you sure? Yep, okay. And so when it came to that particular day, I was like kind of looking at God in my spirit and going, yeah, you're right. And it was a real, that was what gave me the most profound joy, was that God was true to his promise. He came through for me. So, uh, yeah. So throughout those years of my singleness, throughout my trial, I had periods of doubt and, and freaking out. Um, but this deep assurance would come back to me and, I found it really hard to cope with. So the only way I could reconcile it was that I'd, I'd marry Gertrude at, at, at the age of 95 in the old folks' home. That's how... Because it, it never seemed to happen. God said, yep, yeah, well, you'd be married, but it never seemed to happen. So the only way I could reconcile it in my mind was to, okay, Gertrude in the old folks' home. But fortunately, Sarah came along before then, so that was great. So I think we can conclude that joy is a feeling... Joy is a feeling and it's a deep emotion. Like, I wouldn't use it in the context of I'm, I experience a deep, profound joy because the All Blacks beat South Africa in the rugby. I wouldn't use it in that context, right? I'm happy. I'm happy that the All Blacks beat it. But I wouldn't say I'm deeply joyful. So I found this guy, Bill High, and he said, at the same time we've been taught and intuitively know that we define joy by more than a moment... It is more than circumstances. Happiness is dictated by circumstance. So joy is something deeper than happiness. Joy is something more than just the good things that happen in our lives. And Theopedia says this, Joy is a state of mind and an orientation of the heart. It is a settled state of contentment, confidence and hope. And this is, this is good. I think this is a, a good definition. But I, I th I'm pretty sure that joy is a feeling. And it's more than a state of mind. Okay, I think because joy is a feeling, it is produced from a state of mind. And uh, some of you may have, have seen this before, but this was a real revelation to me when I first saw it. The thoughts, feelings, behavior, triangle. And for years, I, as I grappled with my anxiety and, and worry and doubt and all those negative emotions, I'd say, Lord, I want to change the way I feel. I want to feel better. And I, I couldn't see 
a way in which I could feel better. Um, and when I saw this, I thought, my, I'm, my feelings are produced by what I'm thinking, or the meditations of my heart. If I want to feel better, or if I'm feeling bad, I'm actually thinking real bad things. I'm thinking negative things. Um, uh, you know, an example was um, a few years ago, um, I, one of our, I got a text from one of our major clients that one of our competitors was setting up uh, a service that we we're offering. And I, I, I didn't deal with it at the time, and it just sat and gnawed at me, and, and it, it kind of grew and grew and grew. And then we went around to Beth and Gavin's for dinner, and halfway through the dinner, I, just, I said, I can't eat anymore. I'm so uptight. My stomach is like feeling sick. I can't eat. I'm sorry. I, I just can't eat anymore. And I had to stop. And when I, when I processed it, my heart, my, my mind had blown this thing up. So it was, it was the end of the world that this other lab was setting up this service. So, really? What's the worst thing that could happen? Oh, our business could go under. Is that the end of the world? No. Well, I could lose my job. Is that the end of the world? No, I'll get another job. You know, and, and so I went through this process of correcting my thoughts, and then I came right. And I was like, man, what was that about? You know, you, our minds can blow things up so it's a ca catastrophic occasion in our, and it's just like, and someone else comes, comes along and goes, you're thinking what? Man, you want to start thinking differently. That's not true. And so feelings are generated by thoughts, and if I want to change what I'm feeling, I need to check my thoughts. And this is what the scripture says. Stop imitating the ideals and opinions of the culture around you, but be inwardly transformed by the Holy Spirit through a total reformation of how you think. Okay? So how we are transformed is that we, are uh, we ask the Lord to change, help us change what we think. This will empower you to discern God's will as you live a beautiful life. That's good, eh? A beautiful life. Satisfying and perfect in his eyes. Right believing leads to right living. And I use this revelation daily. I, I still struggle with anxiety. It's, it's not something, I think it's always going to be part of my life. But the Lord has taught me and I'm getting better at going straight to him and like putting my thoughts before him. What, I'm, what, have, I, what have I been thinking? Lord, is that true? And more often than that, God says No. It's not true. Oh, well, what is the truth then, Lord? And the, and the Lord shows me. You know, it, it, um, it could be like preparing the sermon and I, I start to get anxious. Now, what am I getting anxious about? I want it to be awesome. I want it to be life-changing. And then, and it's, well, Lord, that's, that's cool, but is it my job to make it life-changing? No, my, my job is to write a sermon and deliver it to the best of my ability. It's God that does the life-changing. It's God that speaks into each of our hearts and changes us. That's not my job description. And when I change my job description onto what it should be, then I feel better. <laughs> so I'm getting better at this, although, like I say, I, I am prone to, to freak out about certain things. So what is the source of our joy as Christians? So let's delve. This is, I love preparing this sermon, and 
part of it was this word, joy, kara. It's translated as joy and delight from the root kara, extend favour, lean towards, be favourably disposed, properly the awareness of God's grace. Okay? Joy is the awareness of God's grace. It's not about the circum- it's not about what happens to you. It's being aware of God's grace in that situation for you. What is grace? It's unmerited, undeserved favor. Favor is about good things happening. In the context of what I need, it is about supply. And my God will liberally supply, fulfill until full your every need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. No matter what situation we find ourselves with, if we meditate on the fact that God's grace is there for us, he has what we need to get through it, he has everything we need, and Lord, I'm looking forward to seeing how you get me through this situation. That is the source of our joy. It's grace. So that's good news, eh? We experience joy when we focus on the fact that whatever I'm facing in my life right now, God will supply everything I need to deal with it. What do you need in your life right now? And don't say, I need God to change my circumstances. It's the circumstance that has brought about the the need that you're feeling that the Lord has promised to meet by his grace. So this last week, well, probably two weeks, has been hugely demanding on Sarah and I. We've had to deal with a couple of very intense situations uh, on top of our already busy lives. And I was tempted to get angry with God. Lord, why have you allowed this to happen to us? It's not like we haven't got anything else going on. But it helps no one. That attitude doesn't help anyone. It doesn't help us. It, it doesn't, it's not focusing on the truth. Instead, as, as we accepted the situation, and Lord, okay, what do we need right now? Lord, we need your peace. We need your knowledge, need your word to us, it's going to be okay. We need to know that you're going to work this situation for our good and for the good for our, of those involved in the situation. <coughs> so as we've, we've accepted that, the situations, and we've focused on God's supply, we've been able to experience a measure of peace and calmness and even joy in, this, in, this, <laughs> in the craziness. So we're saying, God, okay, this bad thing has happened, but thank you, Lord, that you're going to supply everything we need to cope with it. Thank you that you are going to turn it for good for us and for our loved ones. And that's, you know, Sarah was just saying, commenting this morning, she had to go in to, to visit someone who's, who's in hospital. And um, God's brought about the fact that Kezia is now feeding off a bottle. So I can, so she could go and, and um, she left some milk for me and I could feed Kezia. So even that small thing was like, oh, wow. Thank you, Lord. You've, you've provided that small thing to enable us. And, and it's just as well that she did go in because this person hasn't, hadn't taken medicine. 
And the nurses had told us that, that she did. So it was really good that Sarah went in. So that, that's the kind of example of supply that the scriptures talk about. So as we, as we focus on grace, as we focus on supply, thank you, Lord, that you're going to supply. Thank, thank you, Lord, that what we need, you're going to, it's going to be there when we need it. Uh, it produces a state of mind that will hugely reduce our anxiety and depression and increase our peace and our calmness and our joy. But what if I really struggle to stay in this frame of mind? James says to ask God for wisdom, and God will give generously without finding fault. And I'm sure this also applies to faith, because I did a word study on faith, and it's pistis, faith, faithfulness. And it says faith is always a gift from God. Isn't that amazing? Faith itself is a gift from God. God's divine persuasion, and it's therefore distinct from human belief or confidence, yet involves it. So faith is not something we have to strive to generate. Faith is a gift freely available from God. And if we struggle to remain in a posture of confidence in God's provision in any situation, we can ask him for more faith. In fact, we might say that the testing of our faith is the process of building the right kind of faith, the faith that is built on what God can do and his willingness to do it because of his goodness. <coughs> and I don't know if you picked up about, as Karen read, the passage about the stern warning um, not to doubt when we ask God for his gifts. And again, it's one of those things, it's like, oh, man, that's hard to, hard to take. And he talks about, don't expect God to give you anything if you doubt. It's like, Oof, you know. But I'm, I'm, I mean, J- James must have been a real black and white guy because um, uh, he really, <laughs> so tell us what you really think, James. Um, the word for doubt he used is, is diacrino, dia, thoroughly back and forth. And Sarah pointed out that diarrhea means back and forth to the toilet. So that's the kind of back and forth that's going on. And crino is to judge. So you judge back and forth. And so it's kind of, that speaks to me of extremes. We're going to extremes. Oh, no, God's not going to do that. Oh, maybe, no, 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 God's not. So, so we're oscillating back and forth. But I'm really encouraged by the words of Jesus who came to him with a demon-possessed child. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has it been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for the one who believes. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. That's, I don't know, I don't know about you, but I really identify with that. Yes, we believe, but man, we struggle to believe sometimes. But what this guy did was he was honest and he asked God for his help, asked Jesus for his help to overcome his unbelief, right? He asked for help. And that kind of humility, Jesus can't turn away. And he healed his boy. It was enough for Jesus to work with. 
and he cast out the demon and the boy. So this type of faith that we're talking about, that trust in the Lord to provide for us in adverse circumstances, to bring good out of those things, enables us to persevere or endure. And this Greek word for persevere is um, from hypo, under, meno, remain. So it means to remain under. That's what it means to persevere, remain under. James says that we are to choose to remain under the trial that the Lord has allowed to come into our lives until he releases it from us. And uh, <clears throat> probably about 10 years ago, the Lord gave me this version of James 1, 2 to 3. And I was like, oof, yeah, that's good. That's me. Dear brothers, is your life full of difficulties and temptations? Then be happy, for when the way is rough, your patience has a chance to grow. So let it grow and don't try to squirm out of your problems squirm out of your problems that's good that's good I was like that's what I've been trying to do I've been trying to squirm out of my problems and I had to choose to remain under the problems and the the trial that I was facing until the Lord released me I like had a had a vision of a a loaf of bread in the oven it's cooking away but if you take it out before it's fully cooked it's going to be doughy you can't eat that no good got to remain in the oven until it's fully cooked so it's like, I want to be that loaf of bread that stays in the oven until it's fully cooked. I don't want to be half cooked and, and cause other people indigestion. That's not good. That's not good. So it's hard not to try and squirm out of our trials. But James says if we choose to remain, to them, remain under them, God will use them to mature and perfect our faith. So this word mature, <clears throat> this is really cool. Telios, having reached its end, complete, perfect. Derived from telos, consummated goal. Mature, consummated from going through the necessary stages, spiritual journey to reach the end goal. Telos, we've seen this before, right? We've seen this before, telos. It's our picture of the good life, what it means to flourish. Now, telos is extremely important, and what James is saying is vital. In, in, in fact, it's assumed. Why? Because for James, his vision of the good life was not this. It wasn't sipping pina coladas on a tropical beach. But that's what the world tells us our telos should be. That's that, the world says that should be our goal. And to be fair, it looks good, doesn't it? It looks very good. But there's all sorts of things that can wreck that picture very, very easily. Sunburn can wreck that picture. Yep, sand flies, sharks can wreck that picture. Global warming can wreck that picture. A tsunami, yes, a tsunami will definitely wreck that picture. <laughs> Drink it quick. <laughs> and that's the trouble with the, the, these visions of flourishing that we get fed, isn't it? They're temporal. They're easily destroyed. They're easily affected by something bad. And we live in a world where something bad can easily happen. So the world's telos is shallow and fleeting. <clears throat> James's vision of the good life was much deeper. His telos was to allow God to form Christ in his character 
such that his life would become like a flower that blooms in the desert. Now that's deep, right? And that's not fun. <laughs> we don't look at that and all go, oh man, that's what I want. No, but, but that speaks to something deep in us, doesn't it? That's a life well lived. If we can summarise our life like that, we bloomed even in the desert. We bloomed despite everything that life threw at us. So James wanted a life that no matter what um, trials and tribulations came at him, he would thrive and bring glory to God. And the Lord Jesus, who loved him so passionately. And his telos was completed in his death, wasn't it? Remember how, Jane, how he died? He got on his knees and he prayed for those who were stoning him to death. He was killing them. You can't get any more Christ-like than that, can you? I think that's, that's a life well lived. That, that is the, the epitome of the Christian life. Even, don't get me wrong, I'm not going out there after that. I'm not going out seeking people to stone me to death so I can pray for them. I don't think I could do that right now, to be honest. But James lived what he wrote in his epistle. And his life was like that, a flower that bloomed in the desert. And you see how these different teloses, they're diametrically opposed to each other. If we, if we accept that, there's no way we're going to find joy in trials. Because the, the moment a trial comes along and I get sunburnt, that's going to destroy my... what? It's no good. It's not acceptable. You know? Sunburn, all over that one. Sunburn, bring it on. I'm going to thrive. One calls us to seek wealth so that we can enjoy the pleasures of this world. The other calls us to embrace trials and hardship because without these, there is no way that the character of Christ can be formed in us. We will never be able to experience joy in trials if we have a telos from the world. And I, if I can describe my journey in my life, it was, it was like the Lord corrected my telos. In fact, he drew me back to what he originally gave me in my, in my early 20s, which was this. But he knows the way that I take, and when he has tried me, I shall come forth as gold. I want to come forth as gold for the Lord. Yes, life hasn't been easy. I've been in the cauldron, and a lot of the impurities have come to the surface. No doubt there's quite a few more impurities to go, but the Lord has been scooping them off as I've been remaining in the cauldron. right? And I hope I'll be a gold bar for the Lord by the time I finish. The question we need to ask ourselves is, do we want the gold on the outside or the gold on the inside? <laughs> so James teaches us that joy and hardship and trials is possible because of the awareness of God's grace. The undeserved favour of God that will meet our needs, all of our needs, to the full in our trial and enable us to remain in a, a settled state of contentment, confidence and hope that all will be well. And James did that even in his death. Even though he lost his life, all was well with him because he was going to the Lord. 
Rick Warren says, Joy is the settled assurance that God is in control of all the details of my life. The quiet confidence that ultimately everything is going to be okay. And when we have that hope and that, that contentment, no matter what we're going through at the moment, Lord, thank you that you've got it. Thank you that this, you're going to supply my needs. It's going to be okay. I'm going to be okay. My loved ones are going to be okay. And we can remain at peace and at rest. And we can experience joy as, as he supplies our needs as we, as we go through our trial. So let's ask you to close your eyes and bring your heart before the Lord. What trial or hardship are you in at the moment? Are you aware of the grace of God that is ready to supply what you need? Lord, we thank you for your grace that exists for us. Thank you, Lord, that you have promised to supply our needs. Lord, sometimes trials and hardships are painful. And Lord, you know all about that. But Father, as we orientate ourselves towards you, as we receive your love and your grace, your power and your strength, your peace, Lord, the ability to let go of situations that we have no control over. And release them to you, trusting that you will bring good out of them. Lord, bring us that deep sense of peace, a deep sense of abiding joy that uh, remains because we're holding your hand, Lord, as we go through the trial. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness and your wonderful grace. Amen. I invite the music team to, to come forward and we're going to sing, I praise the name of the Lord our God.